This morning, I'm going to begin a series that's going to continue throughout the month of November that I'm calling The Wonder of God. And the reason why is because as we head into the Thanksgiving season, I think one of the reasons why, and Paul even talked about this, Paul talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days, times were going to get difficult and times were going to get perilous. And really he was talking there about the last of the last days. And he said that one of the characteristics that we can look for in the last of the last days, that is a sign that Jesus is going to return soon, is that people will become unthankful. That was really the problem in Romans chapter 1, a passage of Scripture that we looked at a few weeks ago. You know that passage that I told you that a lot of people look at as a hate crime and some places in the world you'll be arrested for reading that passage of Scripture. Well, when you go back and look at what caused that downward spiral of evil, it was because the people became unthankful. And I think that one of the reasons why people become unthankful, why we become unthankful, is because we've lost the wonder of it all. The extraordinary has just become ordinary to us. And the supernatural has become the natural. Now, just for a little fun, when I was preparing this, 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 this series and, and the message for today, I, I just began to think about some things that I've wondered about. I don't know, maybe you've wondered about these things. And so we asked the question here, did you ever wonder why it is that people say they slept like a baby when babies wake up like every two hours? <laughs> I've always wondered that. Here's another one. Look at this one. Did you ever wonder why they call them free gifts? Aren't all gifts free? Thought about that. Look at this next one. Did you ever wonder? Do you ever wonder why they call, or what do you call, a male ladybug? You ever wonder that? You ever wonder if they squeeze olives to get olive oil, how do they get baby oil? A squeeze. And, and you ever wonder why they're called apartments when they're stuck together? <laughs> Did you ever wonder? And what I'm hoping will happen here over the next few weeks, even though we had a little glitch there, what I'm hoping will happen over the next few weeks is that we will somehow have the wonder of God restored in our lives. Back, back in Psalm chapter 78, verse 11, what leads up to, to Asaph writing this particular psalm here is that the people of God have forgotten what God has done, that God had brought them out of Egyptian slavery and that God had opened a Red Sea and that God had provided for them in the wilderness. And so the psalmist writes to remind them and he says to them, they forgot what he had done, the great wonders he had shown them. You see, when we forget not just the wonder of who God is, but the wonder of what God has done, it, it, it causes us to lose our gratitude for God. It causes us to lose our gratitude for who He is and for what He has done. When I was praying about this, this particular series and I was wrestling back and forth about which direction the Lord would want me to go for the next few weeks. And, and, and I, don't, I don't do this often. Matter of fact, this, this may have happened to me maybe two or three times in my life. But I was praying and I said, Lord, I need some confirmation about the direction that you want me to go. 
And so I opened my Bible. I kid you not, I opened my Bible. And when I opened my Bible, it fell to this passage of Scripture in Psalm 100, verse 18, that says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. That's the passage that the Lord gave me to confirm that this is the direction that he wants us to go over the next few weeks with this series on the wonder of God. I'm praying that God will open our eyes once again so that we can recognize the wonder of God, the wonder of who he is, and the wonder of what he has done in our lives. And when we do that, I think it's going to motivate, it's going to inspire us to be grateful and to give thanks So where I want to begin this morning with point number one is with this question, what are attributes? What are attributes? Because that's what I want to talk to you about over the next few weeks are the attributes of God. Now, I like studying words, and I think that you can understand a word better if you break that word down. And so let's break the word down. If you take just one of the T's out of the word attribute, you get the word attribute. Attribute. And you know that when we tribute someone, we recognize them for their distinctive qualities, for, for, for their distinctive personality traits. We, we recognize them for who they are when we give a tribute to somebody. We recognize their distinctive qualities, their distinctive abilities. But not only does the word tribute or a tribute come from this, but there's also another root word. It's the word tribe that comes from this. And let me show you what the word tribe means. The word tribe means the distinct characteristics of a group of people who have descended from one person to another person. The distinct characteristics of a group of people who have descended from one person to another person. Now here's what's exciting about that. Because of Jesus and because of what Jesus did, he made it possible for you and I to become a part of the tribe of God. And because of that, many of the attributes of God are communicable to us. Now, some of God's attributes are uncommunicable, but some of his attributes are communicable. Now, when we talk about the attributes of God and some of the things that we'll look at over the next few weeks, well, we know that God is omnipotent. That means that God is all-powerful. Well, we, we know that God is omniscient, that is, that God is all-knowing. The Bible says that he even knows the number of hairs that are on our head. And it's not because he counted, he just knows. He just has that knowledge. That he's omnipotent, that he is omniscient. The Bible says about God that he is immutable. That's another word that you break down. How many of you, your children, when they were growing up, liked to play with teenage mutant ninja turtles? Because these turtles or these people were able to transform. They were able to mutate. They were able to change. And that's what the word immutable means. Mutable, mutation means to change. Immutable means not change. Don't change. And so God is immutable. That is that God doesn't change. And we're going to see how that all of these attributes of God here in just a few moments work together at the same time. So there are some 
Some attributes of God that are communicable, some attributes of God are not. Now listen, because we as believers are a part of the tribe of God, some of the attributes of God that are communicable are these. And that is that because God is loving, you and I can be loving. And that is because if if God is kind, then you and I can be kind. And, And if God is good, then you and I can be good. You see, some of those attributes are communicable, but some of the attributes of God are not communicable. Look at a couple of these passages of Scripture. Here in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, the Bible says that the Lord, the Lord God, look at all these attributes, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. So it tells us several things there about God. It tells us that God is merciful. And because God is merciful, this is one of those communicable attributes. Because he's merciful, when we're a part of his tribe, now you and I can be merciful. God is gracious, and now that we're a part of his tribe, we can be gracious to others because God has been gracious to us. We can be long-suffering, patient with others because God has been long-patient and suffering with us. You see, once God is in your life, once God is in your heart, once you have experienced Him, then who He is shows up in who you are. So some of those attributes are communicable. But look at this next passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy 1.17. He says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice some other attributes there about God. It says that God is eternal. But now listen, this is one of those incommunicable or uncommunicable traits or attributes of God. God is eternal. That means that God has always been. He's never ceased to exist. He has always existed. He's existed past, present, and he will continue to exist in the future. You and I are not eternal. But here's the good news, and that is once we become a tribe of God, we do receive the gift of eternal life. Look at this other one, immortal Immortal just simply means not an earthly human being, but a, a heaven, a God. Now, now, the Bible does tell us that even though we are not immortal here on this earth, that when you and I die, that at the resurrection, that this mortal is going to take on immortality. And, but, but then notice this other uncommunicable attribute of God, invisible. It, it doesn't matter how hard you try. You, you, you just can't be invisible. Does anybody here this morning ever wish you could be invisible sometimes? Where nobody could see you, where nobody could find you. Even God, when he was here on this earth in the form of a man, Jesus could not be invisible as a human being. So that's another one of those uncommunicable attributes. Let me tell you another of the uncommunicable attributes. That is omniscience. You and I will never know everything. The way God knows everything. Now, I know that the Bible says that when we get to heaven, we will know as he knows. But we don't even know what that means. And we won't know what that means until we get to heaven. But only God is omniscient. Only God is all-knowing. Talk about omnipresent. How many of you have tried to be omnipresent? How many of you have tried to be everywhere at the same time? It's, it's, an, it's an uncommunicable attribute of God that, that, that cannot be passed on to us that cannot be imparted to us 
But then it also says that God alone is wise. That doesn't mean that you and I cannot be wise, but we will never have the wisdom of God. Now you say, Pastor, why is it so important? And we're going we're gonna to talk about a few of these different attributes over the next few weeks and get a better understanding of them. But you say, Pastor, why do we need to know these things about God? Now listen to me, I'm going to make a statement right here that's a very, very, very strong statement. Very strong statement. And that is this, we don't worship God. We worship our concept of God. Now let me say that again. We don't worship God. We worship our concept of God. We worship what we think about God, who we think God is. That's who we worship. And I'm telling you that when you get a knowledge of God, and I've been in ministry now for, for about 35 years, and since I've been in ministry, I've been studying about the attributes of God, getting a knowledge of God through education and through experience. And here's what I know. When you really, truly understand and get a knowledge of who God is, it is a game changer. It totally changes. When you come into the house of the Lord, if you truly know who God is, the worship leader won't have to say, come on, folks, let's clap our hands. When you have a true knowledge of who God is, you won't have to have a preacher say, come on, say amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. Somebody say hallelujah. No, when you have an adequate and an accurate knowledge of who God is, that in itself should motivate you to want to worship God and to want to praise God and to want to adore Him and to bow before Him. So that's why it's important that we have a knowledge, that we understand who God is because it's only when we truly understand. Listen, let me say it this way. What you believe about God affects how you respond to God. I want to say that again. What you believe about God will determine how you respond to God. Some of you walked into this building here today thinking that God's mean. And that's the reason why you're here. He's mean. And if I don't go to church on Sunday, then then he's going to just take me out. Because that's just the kind of God he is. I mean, people think, well, you know, in the Old Testament, God God got mad. and, And because God got mad, he sent his prophets. And instead of listening to the prophets, what did they do? They killed the prophets, so God got madder. And so what did God do? God sent his son. And what did we do to his son? We crucified his son. And so then God got really mad. And then God gave us this book that's supposed to be our standard for living that we're supposed to live by. And now we don't live by a book. And when God comes back, he's going to be really, really, really mad. That's the concept that a lot of people have about God. That's the God that they respond to. That's the God that they worship. I'm telling you, folks, when you know who God is, when you get an understanding of who God really is, when you understand these attributes of God, it's going to totally radically change how you respond to God. Amen. So what are attributes? Attributes are just characteristics and qualities of God. Here's the second question that we're going to look at today, or the second point that we're going to look at today, and that is God does because God is. Now, I know that sounds like a random point there, but it's so important that we understand this about God. 
For, for, for example, let's talk about the love of God here for just a moment. God is not love because he loves. Did, did you get what I just said? God is not love because he loves. God loves because he is love. God is, therefore God does. It's not that God does and what God does makes him who he is. No, God is, therefore God does. Look at this passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, or verse 6. The Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is do you know what I believe God wants to restore to us more than anything else? God wants us, to, wants us to, to have a knowledge, a working knowledge of who God is to restore to us the wonder and the mystery of who God is. Not just what God does, but who God is. Yes, we're going to talk about what he does, but we're going to really focus on who God is over these next several weeks. So he said, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a what? A rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is, he does. He is, he does. He is love, he loves. He is good, therefore he, he, he does good. He is kind, therefore he does kind things and not the other way around. Which brings me now to the third point today and the first attribute that I want us to talk about this morning about God is that God is good. Now you're supposed to say all the time. But God is good. That's why we've been singing these songs today about the goodness of God. That's why the scripture today was about the goodness of God. It's because we need to understand that God is good. That everything that God does is done out of his goodness. Jesus even said this. You go to the New Testament. It's in red letters. He said, no one is good but God. Now, what was he saying there? He was saying that there's not anybody who does not have a hint of evil or darkness about them other than God. That when you talk about the goodness of God, it means that there, is, that there is no tainting of evil. That there is no darkness in him. The Bible says that in him was light and there is no darkness at all. So everything that Jesus does, he does with good intentions. Everything that Jesus does, he does with righteous motivation because he is good. And if we're not careful, you, we use the word good a lot of times the same way we use the word love. We say, I love God, but then we say, I love Jack's biscuits. As good as Jack's biscuits are, and don't tell them I said this, they're tainted. You eat too many of them and it's not good for you. It's not good for your health. And so we say, mmm, these biscuits are good. This peach cobbler is good. And then we come to church and we say, God is good. No, there's no comparison in Jack's biscuits and God. There, there is no comparison in peach cobbler as much as I like peach cobbler. 
with homemade vanilla ice cream on the top of it. Man, licking my lips right now just thinking about it. As good as it is, it doesn't compare to God. That's why Jesus said nobody is good but God because the word good means not a hint of evil, not tainted with any evil whatsoever. Motivations, intentions are always pure and righteous. Now, I told you just a moment ago that God is or God does because God is. Look at this next passage of Scripture here in Psalm 119, verse 68, where he says this. He says, you are good and do good. You are good. Notice, it's not you do good, therefore you're good. No, he said you are good and do good. Now, that tells us two things about God's goodness. Number one, it tells us he is good. That speaks of his character. Number two, he does good. That speaks of his actions. If you want to know what kind of character somebody has, look at their actions. And when you look at the activity, when you look at the actions of God, it speaks good. Goodness. The goodness, the kindness of God. Do you remember when when Moses went to God and he said, God, I want you to show me your glory. And God answered back to him and he said, well, no man can see my face and live. But he said, here's what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to let you get a glimpse of something here that from this day forward, you'll not doubt who I am and that I exist. And look at what it says here in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verses 19 and 20. Then he said, this is God speaking to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Because when you go back and you read that passage of scripture, here's what God did for Moses. He said, no man can see my face and live. And so all that Moses was able to see, allowed to see, was what? The hinder parts of God. And when God allowed Moses to see the hinder parts, here's what he was doing. He said, if you want to know who I am, then just go and see what I've done. Look at where I've been. And when you go and look at the path that I have taken, if you look at where I have been, then you will see that what I have left behind is goodness, 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 goodness. Isn't that amazing that when Moses said, Lord, Show me your glory. God, I want to see you in all of your glory and in all of your splendor. God revealed to him his goodness. And I believe that every other attribute that we're going to talk about God flows out of the goodness of God. You remember I told you that the attributes of God, they all work together at the same time. Think about this. God is infinite. Do you know what that means? That means that word infinite means no limits no boundaries that you're unable to measure it and when you think about the goodness of God the goodness
goodness of God is infinite. There are no limits. There are no boundaries. You cannot measure the goodness of God. Because God is infinite, therefore His goodness is infinite. When you think about the omniscience, all-knowing ability of God, the Bible tells us that He is omniscient and He is good. That means that God knows things that you don't know. That even the plan of God, the outcome of God's plan is always going to be good. Why? Because God has knowledge that you don't have. God knows things that you don't know. That's why God doesn't always give you everything that you ask for. But God sometimes withholds things from you because he knows things that you don't know. And he thinks and knows that you think it's good for you, but God knows it's not good for you. And so he withholds those things. You see how the attributes of God work together. Let's, let's, let's talk about the fact that God is immutable. He's unchangeable. And here's what that means. God is good, and he can never not be good. Listen, this is better than you think it is. Because none of us would be here today if it were not for the goodness of God. Look at this next passage of Scripture. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? Notice, he is good. He doesn't just do good. He is good. Look at this next passage of Scripture in Psalm 34 and 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Just in case some of you haven't decided yet. Just in case some of you are still just kind of sitting there at the table, you know, looking at it, thinking, you know, I don't know if I'm going to like this or not. David said, go ahead and taste and see. And what you're going to find out is that the Lord is good. He's good. Like I've been telling you all along. I've been trying to convince you all along. But you're going to have to taste for yourself. Just like that banana pudding. I've been trying to get you to try banana pudding. You wouldn't try that banana pudding. You said that banana pudding looks gross. You said that banana pudding don't look right. That banana pudding don't look healthy. That banana pudding don't look good go ahead and taste and see and you will find that it is good and it's the same way with God you have a wrong concept of God and you're like I don't know if I'm gonna like this I don't know if I want to go there oh go ahead go there taste and see that the Lord he is so good amen Look at this next passage of Scripture, Psalm 100. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is what? Good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Let's keep going. Look at this next passage, Genesis chapter 1 verse 4. And let me tell you why we need to look at this because here's what the, here's what the devil does. Here's the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy is, well, if God is so good, then why is this world so bad? Listen to me. That is the easiest theological question in the world to answer. This world is not bad because of God. This world is bad because of us. Did you? Because when you go back to creation, it all started good. Look at this. And God saw the light. What? That it was good. 
Look at the next day of creation. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And I'm not going to read all of these. We're just talking about what was created. He created trees and plants in verse 12. And God saw that it was good. Go to the next one. Verse 18. He creates sun, moon, and stars. And God saw that it was good. Verse 21. He creates the animals in the sea. And God saw that it was good. Verse 25, he creates the animals on the earth and God saw that it was good. And then we come down to verse 31, God creates man and woman and just stay on this one for just a second. Then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. Good. So you see, everything that God created started off good. And God is not the one who tainted it. God is not the one who messed it all up. Man is. Man is the one who messed this world up. Sin is what has messed this world up. Not God. Disease is not a taint against the goodness of God. It's an advertisement against the evil of Satan. The enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But notice, everything that God created, it started off good. There was only one thing at creation that wasn't good. Look at this next passage of Scripture. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now look at that. Out of all the good stuff that happened at creation, the one thing that was not good was that man would be alone. And I don't know why. Maybe Adam was running in the garden with scissors. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe God looks back at the Son and the Holy Spirit and says, We're going to have to do something about that. That's not good. It's not good. Man running around the garden with scissors in his hands. And so here's what he did. He created, whoa, man. Right? Whoa. Whoa. Whoa, man. Whoa. You don't need to jump off the roof onto the trampoline into the swimming pool. Whoa, man. Whoa. But notice, everything, everything started good because God, the creator, is good. And James says it like this in James chapter 1, verse 17. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. And what he's saying there again is that God is good. And he's not like the lights in the sky that are sometimes you can see them, sometimes you can't. Sometimes the shadows cover them and you can't see them. Sometimes the clouds cover them and you can't see them. Sometimes it seems like they shine brighter than others. No, that's not God. God never changes. God is always the same. God is good and God will always be good. He is a good, good Father and He just wants to do what's good for you. I know sometimes that what seems good for you is not necessarily in line with what God seems is good for you, but what you've got to do is you've got to learn to trust God. You've got to let God call the shots. You've got to let God's plan and purpose be fulfilled in your life because even if you go through difficult times getting from where you are to where God is going to take you ultimately the outcome of God's plan and the outcome of God's purpose in your life will be good all things work together for good to them who are the called according to God's purpose